Welcome, uh, Midtown. This is the day that the Lord has made, and uh, we are gonna be we're gonna rejoice and be glad in it. I am uh, rejoicing in so many ways this morning. I'm, I'm rejoicing because the Lord woke me up and brought me here. Um, I'm rejoicing that we get to worship um, even through live stream video feeds, and I am certainly not least rejoicing uh, because I got this man sitting next to me. I'm not alone up here this morning. Uh, you guys don't have to only listen to me. You're gonna get uh, something really special and pretty unique in the history of Midtown, and that is. Um, De Carlos and myself bringing the word together um, and uh, and applying it. And if you have not met De Carlos uh, either in person or in the video that we released a few days ago, then uh, welcome, De Carlos. Um, De Carlos is now on staff uh, with Midtown and specifically with me in our Napier ministry. Um, this this man is a friend. Um, he's a brother in arms, a brother in the faith, and, and just a um, a brother in blood with me. And uh, he is uh, agreed to come on and shoulder the yoke uh, of ministry with me in Napier. And so together, we're moving forward in our ministry um, to church plant in the community in 2021. We're really excited. So, um, bro, welcome. Really glad uh, you're here. And we're really glad that we get to open the word. I'm going to um, kind of set, set the table for us a little bit, uh, tell you where we're at in our series, because we're closing this series out. This is the last uh, Sunday in our in our kind of opening vision series with Midtown in January, and we have been um, we have been in this this topic and this discussion that's vital, man. I mean, it's it's it is it is like the most important thing I think we could be talking about, and that is um, who is the Lord growing us up to be. Like, like who is the Lord growing you and me and His whole body of Christ up to be? Um, and we call this maturity. Uh, and whole person maturity. And so uh, I'm gonna have Janie read our scripture in just a second, but we, we've been in this chapter, this incredibly famous chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, the chapter on love. And what maturity is, maturity is um, growing up in love. It's, it's how does the whole body, which we believe in scripture, the body is the mind, it's the soul, it's the spirit, it's the emotions, it's the will, right? It's the muscles that move us out into the world. And we wanna be whole, mature people as we do that. And so um, Janie's gonna read our scripture passage and then we're gonna jump right into that. First Corinthians chapter 13, verses one through three. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I de deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The word of the Lord. All right, bro, so you've played sports, right? Yeah. What, sport, what sports have you played? Okay, so you haven't played baseball? No, not baseball. Like, even, not even a little bit? I mean, not enough that I would be proud to say that I played baseball. <laughs> so, so I haven't either. I mean, certainly not enough to be proud of. So what you're saying is this next analogy, we really not fit to give. No, we're not. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try anyways. So I was thinking about this, this idea of whole person maturity. And I was thinking about baseball. Okay. And I was thinking about how I, I couldn't pitch to save my life. Was it Anthony Fauci that did the opening pitch a while back? And I think it, he, he threw the opening pitch of, was it the World Series? And it, it like made it maybe halfway to the plate. Like that would be me pitching. Okay. And so, so here's, here's where I want to go with this. So 
I was thinking and I asked uh, my friend, Hal Garrett, who is actually a professional, a former professional baseball player and a professional pitcher. And I asked him, Hal, um, how many muscles do you think it takes to pitch a baseball? And I was like, you know, like five, you know, like, so I'm thinking like, you know, your shoulder and maybe biceps, triceps and your back. So that's like five. Uh, and he's like, no, I think a little bit more than that. And I said, so you maybe like 30? And he goes, no, man. He's like, I- I'm pretty sure it uses every muscle. And I was like, really? So I went looking and I found this quote. This is on a on baseball, kind of a baseball physiology website. And it says this, it says, anyone can throw a ball overhand, but not everyone can do it well, obvious. While throwing a ball appears simple, it's actually a complex set of movements. Accurate pitching with force or speed requires the entire body and is not just a matter of the shoulder and the arm. Every part of the muscular skeletal system is literally involved. If any of these movements break down, they can make the ball go somewhere that it is not intended to go. So when I think about that, I think about this calling of the Lord toward being whole people, whole socially mature believers, the coordinated effort of the whole body for the sake of the gospel in the name of Jesus. Like that's what we're talking about. How how can our whole bodies grow up into the maturity that the Lord wants us to be his disciples? So uh, Paul's version of that baseball analogy is in Ephesians 4. He says, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So Midtown, we've been talking about spiritual maturity, emotional maturity, relational maturity, and now what DeCarlos and I get to kind of take it home with is social maturity. So let's, uh, let me just say this at the beginning. The, the, we've got something we want to propose to you. We hope by the, by the end of this time, you'll, you'll take very seriously this proposition. And, and the proposition is this, okay? God calls his people out into the world because what will change the world is Christian love. That's what we believe. And that's why we wanna teach you about social maturity because we believe that God's people are called out and we're not just called out to be active on, it, on our own or on its own, but we're called out because we believe that transformative change in the world comes through Christian love, okay? So social maturity, I, I'm gonna set the table just a little bit and then DeCarlos and I are gonna have a conversation about this, but I just wanna say a couple things because um, <clears throat> I think we can get really twisted up in this idea of, social activity or, or, or um, social justice? And what's the call of a Christian to be out in the world? Um, so, so let me just say a few things. Social maturity is having a relationship to the world. Social maturity is having love for the world. Um, it's what G.K. Chesterton said, and I love this quote when he said, can you hate the world enough to change it and yet love it enough to see it worth changing? Can you hate what you see in the world as a Christian and say that is sin, that is wrong, that is injustice, that's inequity? And can you love people and love the world enough to get out there and and be God's agent to change? So what we're talking about here is is the flourishing of our societies. And so let me say this. um, I think we miss this a lot today. Do you think God actually loves societies? Do you, do you think God actually loves groups of people or does he just love individuals? And I know I'm kind of splitting hairs, but, but go with me for a second. When God looks at Israel in the Old Testament, he says, 
Israel, I love you. In the prophets, it's, it's constantly talking about, it is Israel that I love. He's talking about a society. He's talking about not just one individual person. He's talking about a group of people. And so don't you believe, or wouldn't you think that if God loves society, then God is gonna love and care about the factors and the pieces and the, the things in society that either allow it to flourish or break it down, right? Let me read this, this passage from Amos. The book of Amos in chapter one is judgment against all these other nations. And then God turns to Israel and he says this. This is what the Lord says, <clears throat> Amos 2, 6. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground. And they deny justice to the oppressed. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. So God wasn't just speaking just to an individual there. He's speaking to a group of people. So when one group is vulnerable, when one group is oppressed, just like you saw in that passage, because of sin in society that's made it that way, then God's heart is broken. God's heart goes out against that. He cares and, and, and so should we. So social maturity is having God's heart for the world, for society and for the peoples, peoples that make up society. And so I wanted to say two things about this biblically, because this is an intensely biblical topic. Um, you know, many of Jesus' parables dealt with this. Um, nearly every time Jesus talks about money, some social issues are at play. Um, probably a third of the Psalms deal with social justice. Almost all the prophetic books and then a really good chunk of the Old Testament law to the Israelites had to do with the way that people engage with one another. And there's two words, there's two biblical Hebrew words that are used, mishpat and tzedakah. And when you take these two biblical words, sometimes they're used separately, oftentimes they're used together, you get this idea of social maturity or the way that people should fight for and care for social justice. Mishpat means justice and equity, okay? Um, it means in a legal and in a fairness sense, is there equity amongst people in the world? And then tzedakah has to do with personal righteousness, personal action, to where you and I, in the way that we engage our brother and our sister, can either engage them with righteousness or cannot. This isn't just your friends, this isn't just your family, this is all people, all interactions. So when you take mishpat and you take tzedakah and you put them together, you see that there is command and there is example and there is the Lord's heart for social justice. Typically, when we think of who the Lord is talking about in this vein, we think about three different groups. There's three vulnerable groups of people um, that, that um, both Jesus in the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament are, are specifically talked about, and that's orphans, widows, and immigrants or foreigners. And the reason these three groups are talked about so much is they had a couple things in common. Um, they were vulnerable, number one. Um, they, weren't, they didn't have power to help themselves. Okay, and so social maturity has to do in many ways with the vulnerable in our society. And we see in scripture that Jesus cared about these three groups. He cared at the fact that they were powerless. And so therefore they were oppressed. They were marginalized either intentionally or unintentionally. So they were vulnerable and they were often forgotten because when a group is vulnerable, when it's powerless, 
it usually perpetuates marginalization, right? It, it, it's just too easy to ignore them because they don't have a voice for themselves. Or um, more directly, there's, there's intentionality in suppressing them, right? Because, uh, because there's something that can be gained by suppressing people that are powerless. And so God's heart is on fire for the vulnerable. That's what, that's what scripture tells us. He, his heart is on fire for the poor, the powerless, the marginalized. And we could go so many places. Uh, I could, I could um, another time we'll, we'll preach a whole sermon on Isaiah 58 and how Isaiah 58 is, a, is a, a passage where the Lord looks at all these righteous acts that the people are committing, righteous acts, right? Like acts toward God, religious activity. And he says, I don't want that kind of stuff. I don't want fasting. I don't want ceremonies. I don't want you raising your hands in prayer when your hands are covered in innocent blood. Right? You, you see the disconnect. There's not congruency if your heart isn't active for the people the Lord loves. If your heart isn't caring for the people that the Lord cares about, then how do you look at the Lord and say, Lord, I praise you. Lord, here are my tithes. Here are my offerings. Here's my fasting. The Lord looks at that and he says, no. He says, that doesn't fit. Love those who I love. Care for those who I care about. And then come to me. Okay, man, I know this matters a lot to you. Thanks for holding silent where I got that out. I know, man, you're ready to go. So let me, let me, uh, let me ask you a question. Um, take us into your story a little bit and, and uh, let me ask you this. Um, why can we not forget about social maturity? If we got, if we got spiritual maturity, we're, we're fighting for a relationship with the Lord. We're fighting for a relationship with ourselves emotionally. We're fighting for good relationships kind of close to us. Why can we not forget about social maturity? And that is an awesome question. Um, you know, I was raised in a neighborhood, uh, Jonathan, where uh, people made assumptions and created perceptions in their minds about people that live in inner city neighborhoods where we know there's high crime rates, there's, you know, drugs, poverty. They never talked about uh, the lack of resources that are in those neighborhoods. Never talked about the lack of programming to really help the community grow, but created all of these perceptions and assumptions about neighborhoods. You know, some I know, you know, will ride past certain neighborhoods, stick their nose in the air, you know, look upon people that they've never met or encountered whatsoever. I'm from those neighborhoods, right? I've been on that side uh, of the neighborhoods where I've felt that from people. Uh, when you say a certain area, you call that area out, and people frown upon you know, certain neighborhoods. Um, as I'm sitting here reflecting, I also think about, you know, as a, a man of color, a black man, you know, due to my skin color, you know, people that will uh, have put, uh, you know, systems in place that I feel uh, that have oppressed people that look like me. Uh, when I think about uh, not only that, we can arguably say that even to this day, the way in which I have to speak to my children, and I have to have conversations and prep, pep talks with my children, you know, make sure that my son is not looking a certain way, making sure that he's not wearing his hood when he's just a 14-year-old child, but he can't walk in certain neighborhoods, you know, with just 
things that other people can get away with. When I think about all of that, man, uh, I think about how there are things that I can really feel. Fear for my children. Uh, I can really feel the emotion of anger, hurt, being frustrated, right? And those things are very real to me, right? I, I have to deal with those things. But the, the thing, Jonathan, is when I continue to see it over and over again, and it doesn't look like it's getting any better, you know, can you imagine what it's like to uh, know where there's authority figures oppressing groups of people, and you continue to see it? In 2021, we're still seeing issues like this to this day. It can put you in a place where it puts you in a bubble where you don't want to be bothered with people. You don't trust people. Uh, you, you don't want your kids and your family to be exposed to certain people. But man, if I'm not socially mature about handling those situations, I can't really say that I have the love of God, right? So, so it's, it's almost that I have to put and check my own self because I'm pursuing something that's way bigger than me, right? And it's not that I can't speak about those things. It's not that I cannot feel the way I feel about those things. But if I stay in that flesh, in the evil parts of me, I would never, never, ever get to grow and change, right? So even this right here is something that is intentional, right? What's intentional is me making a conscious decision daily that there's a guy that has his own experiences, your own background, the things that you've gone through, but you and I make a choice that we are going to stick our hands out with the help of the Lord and work together. That is something that we choose. It's a choice that we make every single day. And so some of those experiences, man, I want you to tell, tell myself, tell Midtown some of those experiences and why you feel that social maturity is something that we can't live without. Yeah, bro, I love it. I mean, I, because I, I, I came from such a different background than you did, you know? I wasn't in uh, a neighborhood that would have been considered inner city or a neighborhood of poverty or a neighborhood that, uh, you know, those prim primarily minority. I mean, n n almost none of those experiences were mine. And yet I've experienced the exact same um, never stopping, never giving up, uh, chasing love of the Lord. And I love how when I think about your story and I think about mine and, and I think about that decision that we both have made to say, no, it's better for us to move forward in ministry together than it is for us to move forward alone. It's better on so many levels. Um, I think about all that the Lord did to bring me here, how there were so many things he had to overcome in me, so much blindness, probably gonna talk about scales falling off our eyes in a second, but so many scales that were you know, torn off of my eyes, whether it was... Um, you know, moving to Nashville and beginning to teach um, up in North Nashville, whether it was uh, our family moving into the Napier community and how, I mean, truly Susie and I said from the beginning, okay, we, we know that if nothing else, this is gonna be for us. And it's that, it's that chasing, pursuing love of the Lord that has brought me to where I'm at right now. 
And what I hear you say is it's the chasing, pursuing love of the Lord that's brought you to where you're at right now. And the beautiful thing is we now get to come together and now we get to go take that. We get to go take that out, right? Yeah. Because guys, what, what we're saying, okay, so the second part of that point, you know, the first part was um, God calls Christians out into the world to have a care for the, to the, for the vulnerable, the same heart that the Lord has. But that second part is what we just said, that God's love changes people. And it doesn't just change people, but when it changes people and those people change people with the love of the Lord, then it changes the world. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that we, we're talking about the Corinthian church, but let's talk about Paul. Uh, yeah. When we talk about Paul, uh, the Bible tells us that uh, when, um, you know, Saul at the time uh, was on the road to Damascus, that he had an encounter. And that encounter uh, was that there was a light that shined down. And yeah. the Bible tells us that it literally knocked Paul to his feet. Right, off his donkey. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And when I think about that, I think about sometimes uh, how good it is for us, not in a disrespectful way, but sometimes we need to, because you got to think about, you got to think about this, who Saul really was, yeah. right? We have to sometimes get in a situation where we can get knocked down to our knees for the sake of humility. Yeah. And I think that's a powerful thing about that light was God was really showing his power <laughs> at hand. And, you know, and, and the beautiful thing about it is, Jonathan, is that as Saul was there, uh, the Bible tells us um, that, uh, you know, he did not leave Paul in that situation. But in fact, he told him to get up and go to a place, which says to me that the Lord never leaves us where we are, never. So when we talk about transformative love, the first place we have to go is take a deep dive within self before we can change. You got to think about our own selves, right? And when we think about our own selves, the Bible tells us that, that there were scales on Paul's eyes, which meant uh, that he was blinded, he couldn't see. And so as I think about um, that particular story and where we are with social maturity, I'm thinking about that the Lord always pushes us to a more excellent way, right? What am I saying? What are we saying today? What I'm saying is that there's a more excellent way to this, right? And that the Lord can really take us from a place of opening our eyes and, and the scales falling from our eyes because there's more for us to understand before we go out into the world to do what we say we're going to do. Social maturity takes a lot of self-evaluation and says, man, Lord, if there's things in me, if I've, if I've looked at this the wrong way, take the scales from my eyes, please, so, so that I can be a better person, so that I can really pursue this transformative love that you're talking about. So it's got to transform us first. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you look at that 1 Corinthians 13 passage, you know, it starts with saying, um, let me pull it up. It starts with saying, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, right? And then it says, if I have, uh, you know, the, the, the gift of prophecy and can understand all mystery and all knowledge. And it says, if I have faith that can move mountains, 
And then it says, even if I have so much zeal for the Lord, I have so much passion for the cause of the world or a particular cause that I go and I give my body to be burned. But if I have not love, I'm nothing. I mean, you wanna talk about needing something. What we need, church, what, what this world needs isn't beautiful, talented people. What this world needs isn't knowledgeable, wise, uh, professional experts. This world doesn't even need powerful people, people with great faith. It doesn't, and it doesn't need zealous. Um, I mean, Paul himself said, I was you know, the, the most zealous of all, but I was zealous for the wrong thing. I wasn't zealous with the heart of the Lord. And so Paul says, without love, it is nothing. But what you and I are saying is with love, what the world needs is that those things with love, your talent, your passion, your wisdom, your zeal, and add a dose of love in there and it is going to transform the world. And it does it by changing us first. Wow, bro. Well, so, okay, so tell us uh, in the time we've got left, let's, let's talk a little bit about how this has worked itself out in the Napier community. So um, in, in our ministry, we have said something and it's a summary of everything we've said so far in the sermon. And it's this, Love transforms around the table. It really does. So we know the love transforms part. We just said it. We believe that God's love transforms us and it'll transform through us. Talk to me a little bit about around the table and the role of authentic relationships. Yeah, around the table is, is simply uh, togetherness, right? The, the thing that we do at the table, uh, we eat at the table, we talk at the table, we, we, we communicate, uh, we are around the table doing this in unison. Yeah, that's around the table. And unity. Yeah, man. And, and that's, and I, I guess, you know, when I think about you and I, the way we've been able to do that, even with our different backgrounds and even our different current cultures, is to say, I'm pursuing something bigger than my differences with you. I'm actually pursuing the thing that is absolutely the same as you, right? And that's m me being transformed by the love of God, right? Unity is just saying, we're going to both go toward the same thing together. Right? We're both going to pursue the same Lord and pursue the same things he wants to do out in the world. Wow, man. Wow. So can we give uh, folks a few practical things to take? Maybe, maybe these are things that I think you and I would say are things that we've certainly taken um, with us. Like when we go out into the community, we're probably going to do it later today. We've got to visit some, some uh, single mothers in, in the Napier neighborhood today. Um, when we do that, Let's talk a little bit about kind of how we walk in that. So do you remember the first thing that we kind of said was important to remember? No. Okay, I got it, I got it. <laughs> uh, the first thing you told me um, was, and this is just really important to remember, um, the, the Lord gives you opportunities to be socially mature wherever he's called you to. Absolutely. And there's, there's a few things we're saying underneath that. Um, we're saying that um, you don't have to go somewhere else be someone else or do something else necessarily uh, to be socially mature. Because you always know the Lord has called you to where you're at, right guys? That's, that's just basic. Like we know the Lord is, if he's sovereign, then he's called you to where you're at. What you don't know potentially is that he's called you to where you're not. Now he maybe is calling you to where you're not, but the first point of application is wherever you are is where you're called to. And that's where the Lord has given you opportunities to be socially mature. So, I mean, I don't know, think of someone at Midtown that you can imagine um, that would maybe be going, I don't know if this is for me. I don't know, what, what do you have to say to them? You know, I, I would say um, that 
you really, really just have to uh, not make your own opinions about uh, what and who you're supposed to do. I would really think that you need to start with prayer and asking the Lord, how am I called to do such and such? What we're not saying is that you have to go friend a person that looks like me uh, to say that we are being socially mature. That's not what we're saying because everybody's called to different places in their lives. But it might look like that. And it might, and there's nothing wrong with that. What you're saying, well, maybe what you're saying is don't put that burden on someone that looks different to say, I want you to come make me socially mature. Yeah, because, because one thing about it is, Jonathan, if, if it's not authentic, yeah. then it means nothing anyway, right? Which is point number two. The point number two is that when you really want to be socially mature and you really applying this application, you want to have authentic relationships, right? So you have to treat people as humans, yeah. right? Not that you're going to fix anyone, not that there are projects, right? That they are equals, yes. right? That we are equally walking into this together. And, and, and what we're equally walking in, folks, we're equally walking in the fact that we are made in God's image, which means I'm equally broken as you. I am united, talk about unity. I am united with you in our common brokenness and need, but I'm also united with you in my dignity, my value, and my beauty. And if I look at someone, no matter what they look like, no matter what I look like, no matter the chasm between us, if I know that we are united in all those things, equal brokenness and equal, equal beauty, then that gives me a way to move forward. And it gives me a way to move forward in a way that isn't asking you to fix me or doing something out of shame, but it says, no, like I, I wanna step into what the Lord is calling me into as a more mature person, a more full human being. Yeah. Um, we had a third point, didn't we? You said pray, okay. Our third point of application, if you've, if you've kind of wrestled with, all right, where am I? <laughs> is the Lord calling me where I'm at? Is he maybe calling me to, to take some steps in a different way? And then number two, what does is, what is doing that authentically look like? Number three would be um, pray and ask the Lord kind of two, two, uh, um, two questions about yourself. Um, number one, let me make sure I got this right because I know I wrote this the right way. Uh, number one, um, I'm going to find it. What are the needs of the vulnerable around me? What, what are the needs that are right around me? Is it something that's in, within my family? Are there, vulnerable, are there vulnerabilities in my family that the Lord is calling me to step into that I've maybe been rejecting? This is, this is where social maturity can start with you and your kids. Okay, is, is there a vulnerability in the way that you do your family that, that hasn't opened them up, hasn't opened them up to seeing how different people live and what opportunities could be there. So that's number one. What are the vulnerabilities right around you? And then number two, this is the, the heart work. So now we're jumping into some emotional maturity. What barriers have I or others erected to me loving those people? What are the barriers that I've erected or that maybe others have erected to me loving? Um, that could be a lot of things, guys. It could be where you've chosen to live. It could be... Uh, how you've chosen to spend your time. Um, it could be the way that you've chosen to use the financial and material resources that the Lord's given you. Are there assumptions you've made about that? Because this is just the way people do it. This is how all my friends do it. That's a, it, no, maybe, maybe isn't, but it could be a barrier between you and where the Lord is calling you to be social ma maturity wise, right? 
So it goes back to something you said at the beginning is, will I allow the Lord to show me where those scales are in my eyes? And would you please just assume with me that there are those things? There are unconscious ways that you've chosen to see the world and therefore chosen to act in the world that are between you and what the Lord could be calling you to do. Which, by the way, isn't just helping someone else, it's, it's helping yourself. It's allowing the Lord to open up your, yourself to flourish as a human being to be more full in how he's made you to be. So those would be three things, yeah. And uh, maybe the last thing I'll say in closing Midtown is um, please remember Jesus. Um, remember that the, the most vulnerable person is you because Jesus looked at us as uh, criminals on death row. And he looked at us and said, you deserve, you're literally in the most vulnerable position as someone that has sinned against God and that's deserving of death. And he came to you and he said, um, I'm, I'm going to step toward you. I'm gonna step toward love with you and even step toward unity with you because I made you in my image. So remember that anything we're asking you to do is, is things that Jesus has done for you first and modeled for you first. That transformation in your own heart is where this all began. And so would you, would you believe the Lord has others for you to transform outside of that? All right. Thanks, bro. Really good. All right.